0: the title of today's sermon, it actually changed. So I had a title in mind, uh, and then it changed. And um, I just want to tell you, I think that what we're going to talk about today, and we're going to be going to, to uh, Genesis chapter 40, I think might be one of the most important uh, topics in all of Scripture. Okay, and you'll, So you'll see why. And whenever I'm aware of that, I feel extra weight as a preacher because I know that I can be a distraction, and I don't want to be a distraction from what God has to say this morning. I really want us, myself included, to hear what he has to say. And we're talking with the title of the sermon is Joseph's Secret, and you'll see why uh, in, in a minute. But I just want to pray before we jump in, and I want to say that just to say I, I do believe that. The topic of this is so vital. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is absolutely vital. If you're not, maybe you're here and you're on the fence and you're not sure where you stand, in your whether you believe Jesus or whether you're a follower of him, this is equally as important because this will get at the heart of what it actually means to be a Jesus follower. And so I'm going to pray that we hear what the Lord has to say today and that I, as a speaker, as a preacher, don't get in the way of that in any way. And so I'm just going to pray that the Lord speaks. And so. Let's let's pray together, God. I just want to thank you for um, for today. I want to thank you for your word, and as I've mentioned, Lord, I I believe this message is so vital. It's it's central to the life of a Jesus follower, of of someone who is your child. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would hear you today. That I wouldn't get in the way in any way, um, but that we would actually hear what you are saying, what you're teaching us. And help us, Lord, we're reading a story that happened 3,500 years ago, uh, but you've, you haven't changed, and, and human nature hasn't changed in all of those years. And so there's so many parallels and similarities. And so help us to see what happened then, but also to recognize what's going on right now in 21st century North America, Thunder Bay, Canada. Uh, help us to see, to see what's going on and to hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. So Joseph's secret is what uh, I'm calling this, and uh, I just want to point out that, I, and I think this is, is kind of how we all are, and, and maybe, again, it's just me, so sometimes I make assumptions if I'm speaking that I, I think a certain way, so I'm like, oh, other people must think that way, and that's not always the case, okay? Um, but I think we're all like this a little bit where when, when we see somebody who's really successful, we're curious about what makes that person tick, Right? Like, you you see somebody who's incredibly successful, and they've risen to the top of whatever their industry is, and when you get to hear about how they got there, like, there's kind of an interest. I grew up, uh, as you know, I grew up in in, uh, New Brunswick, but most people, I don't know why this is here in Northern Ontario, or people that I meet from Western Canada, I will literally all tell them that I'm from New Brunswick, and within a minute of a conversation, they're talking about how I'm from Nova Scotia. I don't know why, okay? <laughs> but that's happened to me so, t- so many times where I'm like, no, I'm like, it's New And then eventually I just like, I don't care. Like, sure. My wife's from Nova Scotia, so I guess I'm kind of from there. I spent a lot of time there. Um, but I'm from New Brunswick. Sidney Crosby, very famous hockey player, okay? He's from Nova Scotia. And so maybe that's why people in their mind, they're like, it's like a maritime thing where like the one famous person from the Maritimes is Sidney Crosby. So I'm associated with that. I don't know. But Sidney Crosby, if you don't know, he's a really successful Hockey player, arguably best hockey player in the world, okay, depending on who you, you talk to. Right, Caleb? No. Anthony says no. There's already disagreement. It's a debate. It is a big debate. Um, he's, he's very, very good, okay, and, and just, there was an audio book released, and he does a lot of the, the reading in it, uh, and it's about his rookie year, and it just kind of tells the story of how he got to be super well-known, how the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, won all the Stanley Cups that they did, all those things. Uh, and I was really interested, so I was, like, on one of my trips, and I decided to listen to this audiobook, and I was fascinated to hear about Sidney Crosby's kind of journey towards this be- being an incredibly successful hockey player, and-, and what I learned from it was that he just has this, like, legitimate love for hockey. He loves the sport, so when he was growing up, like, he'd be downstairs for hours on end, like flipping hockey pucks up against the dryer in his, in his basement. And so the dryer has like, and I think it's actually, there's a museum in Nova Scotia that celebrates Sidney Crosby. And I think the dryer is actually there where it shows all the marks from when he was a kid, just shooting pucks up against this, this dryer. Like they actually have this thing on display, right? Who who thought when they bought their like Whirlpool or Kenmore dryer, that it'd be on display in a museum someday, right? Like <laughs> you don't ever think of that. Um, but it just like, he tell, the, part of that story gets told, and what I learned in the story was, like, this guy just loves hockey. Like, he thought about it, he lived it, he breathed it, still does. Like, he just has a love and a passion for the game, and he's risen to the top because of this, this love, but also because of skill. I liked hockey, but I was brutal at <laughs> hockey. Actually, I played, you can ask Caleb, I played hockey with Caleb in university, um, we, we were in this league, and I was, I was pretty bad at it. I loved it, but just the love didn't match up with the talent. And so those two things coming together, when you have something, your, your ability, you're good at, and a love and a passion, sometimes those things come together, and it leads to success, right? Um, there's another book that was really famous. Um, Will Smith's name has kind of uh, been dra- dragged through the mud ever since what happened at the Oscars happened. Um, but just prior to the Oscar's slap, okay, Will Smith came out with a book, and it was his biography. It was his story. Um, it's a 16-hour audiobook. There's a lot of swearing in it. I'm not necessarily recommending it, um, but I I was just fascinated to hear about this guy's life, like what led to him becoming one of the most famous actors in Hollywood. And so, when, and when I was listening, and I could get into more of that, but I was listening, like, what was, like, what's the secret? Like, how did How did he become separate from other people that were trying to become a famous actor? Or with Crosby, like, what separated Crosby? Like, why why is Crosby the name that we all know and not Caleb McCollum? Okay, Caleb's a great hawk player, he loved it. Like, what is it? Like, so when we see somebody that's, like, risen to the top in their field, sometimes it, like, we wonder, what like, what leads to that? What is their secret? And Joseph... He's got a secret, and what I want to highlight, so in the first two weeks, we did, the first week, we talked about the purpose of the dream, right? We learned about Joseph as a 17-year-old. He's, he gets these incredible dreams from God. He, he dreams about what he will one day do, which is that one day he will rule, and in his dreams, he sees his brothers bowing down before him, and he has this vision of what that's going to look like. It's kind of self-focused at the moment, um, but then things just absolutely fall apart, Okay? So that, that happened. we talked about the purpose of the dream, and, and we got into you know, the dream not being about us and jealousy and pride. Um, but I just want you to remember, at this, at this juncture when we meet Joseph, he's 17, he has these dreams, he's got this vision for what his life will be, and things go terribly wrong. Last week, we talked about the divine detour, okay? And so Joseph's life, after he gets this incredible dream from God, takes a massive detour, and his life becomes tumultuous it started out hopeful but then you'll remember joseph's brothers they want to kill him and they sell him into slavery okay so there's a detour and then while he's in slavery he works for a guy named potiphar and in potiphar's house joseph rises to the top so joseph has like incredible leadership skills and abilities so he's a slave in egypt in the home of a really prominent egyptian official and he rises to the top of that house things are going really well but then you remember, last week we talked about it. Joseph does what's right. He actually takes a stand for truth, right? So Potiphar's wife comes and tries to seduce him and says, sleep with me. And Joseph, his answer is incredible. He says, how could I, how could I sin against God, right? And then he's punished for taking that stand. So he does what's right, and then he's sent to prison. She lies. Potiphar's wife lies and, and accuses Joseph of rape. So he's sent to prison on a false accusation of rape, after he does what's right. So there's this detour, okay? So he's in Potiphar's house, rises to the top, things go bad, right? He's lied about And then he's in prison, and while he's in prison, he actually rises to the top there. He's got incredible leadership ability. Joseph is known as, like, the dream interpreter, but what I find more interesting in the story is that Joseph has this incredible gift to lead and to, to, to be an administrator, to oversee people, to set things up. So in the prison system, he rises to the top, and then while he's in prison, he, he interprets the dreams of these two high-up officials in, in Potiphar's uh, service, and Joseph has hope, okay? So this is coming to the end of like an 11-year period of absolute dryness, absolute just a horrible time, and he gets this glimmer of hope. These two people come into the prison, and he interprets their dreams, and he's got this hope. He says, when you go back to, to Pharaoh, make sure you remember me like, tell him about the fact that I interpret dreams and that I'm a great leader, like, and and tell him that I've been falsely accused of rape. He's got this hope of, like, maybe I can get out of this horrible situation. But then the scriptures tell us he's forgotten about for another two years. So where we're at, where we're going to start from now, Joseph's got, we meet him at 17, okay, and then he's sold into slavery, and then he's lied about and then he's forgotten about. So at 17, and he doesn't become a leader until he's 30, he's got 13 years of misery, drudgery, being lied about, being forgotten, just like a 13-year-long desert. It's terrible, and it's horrible. And Joseph, he's one of these few people in the scriptures, and we do see weaknesses in him, but he's one of these few people that doesn't have this huge flaw somehow, and this is, this is what I want to touch on this morning. Like, what's his secret? Like, how do you, how do you have a, a, a dream from God? So Joseph's got this incredible dream. He's going he's gonna to lead. His brothers are going to bow down to him. His parents are going to bow down to him. He's got, he's got all this hope, all this anticipation, right? And then things just go terribly wrong. He's lied about for doing what's right. His brothers want to kill him. He's forgotten about by the only people that could help him. And somehow, he just has hope in God. Somehow, he doesn't just give up and, and and like turn to the things that he would probably want to turn to or give into his temptations. Like, what's his secret? Like, some of us go through a period of struggle in our lives for a year and we give up. We're mad at God. We're like, forget this. I thought God was going to help me. Like, Joseph's got 13 years of just misery. So he's got this incredible encounter with God and then 13 years of just misery. And my question is, like, what's his secret? Like, how does Joseph, in the middle of, like, he's in a, an Egyptian dungeon, totally forgotten about, he's lied about for doing what's right, right? He, he, for, he's falsely accused of rape, even though he didn't do it, even though he actually, like, said no for good reasons. He's falsely accused, and he's there. Like, how does he hold, like, what's his secret? what is joseph's secret like how does he get through that and and i just want you to think about yourself like think about some of the periods in your life where you've gone through a difficult time maybe for a year or two years or 5 years or 6 years and how low it gets and how hard it is to continue to trust god and and maybe there's some of us here today that have just all but given up so what's joseph's secret how, like how does he how does everybody in his life turn on him they all they 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 forget about him they they Shove him aside, they lie about him. Like everybody has turned on him and he's in this dark dungeon, totally alone, totally forgotten about. How, like, what's the secret? What is, what is the secret? Jesus touches on it in Matthew chapter 22. And we're going to read Genesis 40 in a second, but I want to read a few verses from Matthew chapter 22 uh, before we get there. Jesus is one of those brilliant teachers that can summarize something complicated into something very simple. And you'll notice, brilliant people have a way of doing that. They can take something really complicated and make it simple. Um, Not brilliant people can take something simple and make it really complicated, okay? (laughs) I'm often, I've thought of that a lot as a preacher because I'm like, I feel like I've done that. There's times where I've taken something really simple and people walk away like, and I'm always astounded at Jesus. He can take something really, really complicated and, and simplify it. And Jesus, in this section, Jesus does this with the law. So if you want to know what the Jewish law was, you read the first five books of the Old Testament. It's called the Torah. There's 613 laws. Super complicated. Okay? Some of the laws are are hard to understand. And Jesus, when he's put on the spot, he has an incredible answer about how to obey the law. In Matthew chapter 22, and I think this will be on the screen, starting in verse 34, it says, When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him, Jesus, with this question. He says, teacher, what's the most important commandment in the law of Moses? So he's trying to trap Jesus. He's trying to make him look bad in front of the crowd, okay? Because they don't like Jesus, these, these religious elite. So he's saying, what's the most important law? And the reason this is a trap is because if Jesus picks one of the laws that's the most important and, and downplays another one, it could be heresy. It could be uh, considered false teaching, which in those days you were killed for. Today, people might make a YouTube video about you. Back in those days, if you're a false teacher, they just, they just killed you. That's how they dealt with it. <laughs> that's, that's kind of what they were going for. Um, so they're trying to trap him. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments commandments so jesus is saying to this question you know what's the most important law like what, what do we do to obey it all he says love god and so joseph's secret at some point in his life he got to the point where he was motivated by a love for god how did he resist the temptation to sleep with Potiphar's uh wife It was a love for God. Even in his response, you can see that. He's like, how could I sin against God? But then even further, I I understand that. Because if I put myself in Joseph's shoes, I'm like, yeah, I might have done that. I I understand that, you know, sleeping with somebody else's wife is is wrong. Okay? That's pretty clear. Right? Maybe maybe I would have done that. But you know what really makes me ask the question about how did Joseph do it? Is then after he takes that stand, when he's falsely accused of rape, and it looks like everybody around him believes it. So you've got to imagine, Joseph, he's, he's been uh, beaten by his brothers and sold into slavery. So he's in Potiphar's house, and he rises to a position of high authority. He's obviously built trust. He's got friendships. He's got people that he's built trust with. I think of the guy Potiphar that he worked for. It says that Potiphar, the only thing he thought about was what to eat, because Joseph took care of everything else. So you got to think, Potiphar and Joseph must have developed this incredible friendship of trust, right? Joseph gets to the point with Potiphar where Potiphar's telling him his own secrets, and Potiphar trusts him, and things are going well. Joseph is like, actually, he, he's, he's a lot like an immigrant in a new place that didn't know anybody, and he built up a community of people that knew him and he knew them, right? And then he, he resists temptation, and he loses all of it. The the scriptures say Potiphar was so angry, and he had Joseph thrown in prison. And so everybody that Joseph had, he'd like rebuilt up this community of trust. He was brand new to Egypt, didn't know a soul, but now he's got this community of people that he trusts, and they trust him. And, And after he does what's right, he's thrown in prison. Like, to me, that's what makes me question. I'm like, maybe I would have resisted like Joseph did, but I don't know that I would have stayed hopeful in that prison after that kind of disappointment and letdown. For years. Like, it had happened before, and here it is happening again. And Joseph must be going, what, what have I done? What is wrong? Like, that's what makes me go, how did he get to the point where he loved God enough that it was the motivation to live that way? Genesis 40, we'll read this as the, we're at this point in Joseph's life where he's in, he's in this Egyptian uh, prison. And we'll read about what happens Sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, And the chief baker offended their royal master. Pharaoh became angry with these two officials and he put them in the prison where Joseph was in the palace of the captain of the guard. They remained in prison for quite some time and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph who looked after them. While they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream that night and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today? He asked them. And they replied... We both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream first. In my dream, he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me. The vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom, and soon it produced clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand. So I took a cluster of grapes and squeezed the juice into the cup. Then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is what the dream means, Joseph said. The three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as the chief cupbearer. And please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so that he might let me out of this place. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison, but I did nothing to deserve it. In that sentence, Joseph just tells his whole history. I was was kidnapped, I was taken from my homeland, I was taken from my family, I was taken from a dad who loved me. Like, I was beaten, I was thrown in a pit, totally forgotten about, it, and I'm thrown here. And now I've been lied about, and now I'm in prison. Like, he just expresses this whole, and he's like, please, like, I just interpreted your dream. When God restores you back to Pharaoh, tell him about me. So you see here, Joseph is, like, trying through human means to try to get himself out of this mess. When the chief baker, and this part of the story makes me laugh a little bit, because um, I can just imagine Joseph's response it says, when the chief baker saw that Joseph had given the first dream such a positive interpretation, he said to Joseph, I had a dream too. In my dream, there were three baskets of white pastries stacked on my head. The top basket contained all kinds of pastries for Pharaoh, but the birds came and ate, the basket, ate them from the basket on my head. This is what the dream means, Joseph told him. Imagine having to give this interpretation, okay? So just listen <laughs> to Joseph. He says, the three baskets also represent three days. Three days from now, Pharaoh will lift you up and impale your body on a pole. The birds will come and peck away at your flesh. I just imagine Joseph's um, response to, to, like, this guy's dream. And I, I, he must have been hesitant to tell the guy the meaning, right? Like, if, if, if that was the meaning you had to tell somebody, like, your, your head's going to be removed from your body in three days. You'd probably be a little bit reticent, right? Um, but the scriptures don't give us any indication of that. And so he gives this, this uh, interpretation and then in verse 20, Pharaoh's birthday came three days later and he prepared a banquet for all of his officials and staff. He summoned his chief cupbearer and chief baker to join the other officials. He then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so that he could hand Pharaoh his cup. But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. so, Joseph, at the beginning of his life, this is what I believe happened. When he began his life as a 17-year-old, he had these dreams from God. He used his gifts and abilities with self in mind. And we talked about this. So Joseph was an incredible leader. God had given him this supernatural ability to interpret dreams. So he's got a leadership gift, but he's also got a spiritual gift and ability by God to interpret dreams, okay? It's, it's, it's incredible. And in Joseph's first few experiences in life, you can see that Joseph, he's using that gift. But I'm, I'm imagining Joseph is a lot like you and I, where he's excited about what it's going to mean for him, right? So when he tells his brothers about the dream, that they're bowing down before him, the parents are bowing down. He's excited, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's like, Joseph, he's excited about what it's going to mean for him personally to be this incredible leader, to have people bowing down to him, to have prestige and to have, you know, uh, a position and a platform and all those different things, right? And then that's all taken away from him. He ends up in Potiphar's house. And I'm imagining, even in Potiphar's house, he's like, he, he's rising to the top, and I'm imagining Joseph, he's probably thinking, my dream is going to be fulfilled. Here I am in Egypt, and, and I've like risen to the top in Potiphar's house. He's this high official of the king of Egypt, of Pharaoh, and I'm rising to the top. And, and the scriptures say that Joseph was so good at his job that, that Potiphar didn't even have to think about anything because Joseph took care of it all. And so I'm imagining Joseph's like, it's happening. My dream is being fulfilled. Things are working out the way that I want. Things are, they're, they're just working out for me right? And then that's taken away. And then he ends up in prison and it's the the prison guard, it's where all the like high officials of the king get thrown in prison and Joseph rises to the top there. And I got to think he's probably like, okay, things are working out. I'm like, I'm going to get my 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 dreams fulfilled and and it says here that Joseph when when he gives the cupbearer a favorable interpretation. He says, please go tell Pharaoh that like I've been falsely accused. I shouldn't be in this prison. I was kidnapped from my homeland. He still has like self in mind because he's like, someday I'm gonna rule. There's this excitement about what it means for him. So when Joseph began his life, there was like a self-focus when he thought about his dreams. And and I don't know about you, but I, I like I think Joseph represents all of us. I think all of us have a self-focus at some point in our life where we're like, there's an excitement about doing something significant either for God or using our gifts and abilities in a certain way, and and there's this like temptation to be self-focused. And we don't often see the bigger picture of what God is up to in the grand scheme of things, in the bigger picture of our lives. You know, as I was preparing this sermon, I thought about, um, and I've mentioned this before, that I... Um, I went lobster fishing in Graminan and Ann for a couple of years. And, uh, b- but what got me on the island of Graminan and Ann was I took a job as a youth pastor. And the little church it was a little Baptist church on this small island. And I was a youth pastor there during a time when they didn't have a senior pastor. And so I was 19, and they hired me to be the youth pastor, but to do the bulk of the preaching. I preached like twice a month which didn't make any sense. I didn't have a Bible school education. I don't even, to this day, I'm like, I don't know why they, I don't know why they did that. I don't know what they're thinking. Um, I did that for a little over a year and they finally found a full-time pastor. Well, he and I didn't get along. There was like some pretty serious conflicts about what we believed, about what I should be doing with the youth group and I resigned. And I've like repented to God. I think when I look back now, I know my attitude was was wrong. Um, but at the time, I thought I was doing the right thing. And the, and. And I didn't even have time to worry because when I resigned, I didn't have a job, okay? So we had a place to live, but I was like, I didn't know how I was going to pay to buy food for our growing family. Um, I think Malachi was just coming then or had like just been born. It was around that time. So we only had two kids, so it's not as stressful as having six. (laughs) It was was a lot easier, but still, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I didn't even have time to worry because uh, a fisherman found out that I had resigned from my job and he called me and said, do you want a job to go lobster fishing? And I was like, yeah, sure. Didn't even know what that was going to mean. And uh, I went lobster fishing, and that turned into a two-year job. I can't tell you how restless I was in that two years. Like, there were times, and I remember sometimes to go out and uh, fish in the the spot we were fishing from, it was like a -a two-and-a-half-hour sail. And so a lot of times, uh, me and the crew, we'd go down in the the bunk of the boat, they called the cuddy, under the wheelhouse. And uh, I'd put my music on, and there was a Lecrae song that was really popular at that time called Don't Waste Your Life. And I don't know, I remember laying in my bunk, and, and I'd be listening to Lecrae's song, Don't Wanna Waste My Life, Life. And he talked about how you can waste your life just like chasing after your own desires and not do the things of God. And I was on my way out lobster fishing away from humanity okay? <laughs> so like, when you get in the boat and you sail for two and a half hours, you're away from all, where all the people are. And I knew God was calling me to full-time ministry, and I'm like sailing away from all of humanity, listening to this, life, this song about like, don't waste your life. And I was so restless, and I was like, man, I hate this. Like, I, 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 the job, when I look back, and I'm like, I loved it. It was a great experience, but I was just so restless because I knew that wasn't what God was calling me to do for the rest of my life. And then at the end of that two years, I saw an opportunity in Moncton at Harvest House, the ministry my dad started, and they were looking to, to, to bring me back on. And in my mind, I had a totally different picture of what I would do than what the organization actually wanted me to do. So I had this vision of, like, being a pastor in, in Moncton. And I, and I hadn't, at this point, I had no training or anything like that, but I just, that was my vision. And so I, I, I left Grandma Nan, I took this role at Harvest House. That was probably the hardest two years of mine and Vicki's marriage, it was like a really difficult season, right? So there was four years straight where it was just like I was so restless and I couldn't figure out like what, what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? And I'm, and I'm reading through this like Joseph story and Joseph's period of difficulty uh, was a 13-year period through the desert, through misery, through like this like feeling of like I'm not doing what God wants me to do. And it's something that I can relate with. And when I look at Joseph and I want you to think about yourself for a minute, Okay, whatever, if that's been a season or maybe you're in a season like that. But in Joseph's case, God was preserving him for something in particular. There's a verse uh, from Psalm chapter 105. I think it's on the screen. Uh, Yeah. Psalm 105 verse 19 says, Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. Until the time came To fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. So if, like, at 17 years old, Joseph couldn't have stepped into the calling that God had for him. And just so you know, the calling God had for him was that Joseph was going to save the known world, okay? Probably represented more than a million people. Uh, He was going to save the world that he knew at that time from a famine that would have killed tons and tons of people. Joseph, there's no way he could have stepped into that when he first had these dreams from God. There's no way he could have stepped into it when he first got to Egypt, right? So all of this like 13 years of just drudgery, God was doing something in Joseph's character, developing him to be the man God was calling him to be. And God was using this desert time. And when I look back on my life, uh, I, I, I can see how God used all of these different experiences in my life to develop me. Like he, it's like he was more concerned with what he's doing inside of my heart and my relationship with him Then he was concerned with what I wanted to do. And Joseph, like, I don't, what's his secret? Like, how does he go through 13 years of just absolute misery and pain and, and feeling forgotten? He had to get to the point in his life where his love for God was what kept him going. So he started his life by using his gifts and abilities with self in mind. He ends his life by using his gifts, his abilities, his position to serve other people. That's how he ends his life. Joseph had gotten to the point, and, and you look at it, in the beginning, so he's got, this, he's got these dreams, and he's got this like, vision for, for what he wants to do and how he wants to use these dreams, and, and, and there must have been like, some self-focus, but as we see from Psalms, like God is developing Joseph's character. He's, he's turning him into the kind of leader that will actually reflect the glory of God. And he uses suffering, he uses pain, he uses all these horrible experiences to do that. Like, God is, is actually doing that. And then you see Joseph at the end of his life, so at 30, when he steps into leadership, and we'll get there in the next couple weeks, he serves in such a way that, like, millions of people's lives are absolutely saved. And when he looked back on his life, he had to see God was just with him throughout that whole process. And so, the, so what goes on in the middle, and this just hits the heart of it, this is, what I, this is where I want to land on, like, what was Joseph's secret? He, he just loved God. He had to. You know, I just imagine Joseph sitting in this dungeon. He's in this Egyptian dungeon, and he's a human being just like you and I. And you've got to imagine, Joseph is just thinking about all the people that, like, stabbed him in the back. He's got, a, he's got 10 older brothers who ganged up and wanted to kill him, and they throw him in a pit. Like, wouldn't that hurt? Have you had family members, people that you should be able to trust, just turn on you? Like have you had people that you just didn't expect it, and they've just totally lied about you, or 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 just forgotten about you? Like have you have you experienced that? So then you know Joseph experienced that, and then he, he's in this dungeon, so he's thinking back to that, and then he thinks to back when he was in Pharaoh, uh, Potiphar's house, and he's like he he thinks back to maybe his first interaction with Potiphar, like this high up official in Pharaoh's uh, service, and 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 he. And, and Potiphar is impressed by Joseph. And Joseph rises to the top in Potiphar's house. And he becomes in charge. And, and he's excited because he's got community and he's got people that trust him. I'm sure Joseph had people under his care that he was in close relationship with. And then this false accusation comes against him and everybody turns on him again. Like, have you felt that before? Like, have you ever gone through a time where you've just felt like you were lied about or you're misunderstood and people turn on you? So he's in this dungeon and he's thinking back. And then again... He's in the dungeon, and he's thinking back, and what's just happened? This cupbearer, he just had hope. He interprets this guy's dream, and the guy, like, it actually happens. Joseph hears. He gets back. He's restored to his service. This cupbearer who served Potiphar, or who served Pharaoh, he served the king, right? And so Joseph hears that this guy's restored back to his position, and Joseph's thinking, okay, he's going to tell Pharaoh. He's going to tell Pharaoh about me, and I'm going to be released from this prison. And then two more years of silence. Like, what would it have been like to sit in that dungeon for that long and be thinking about all the times that people just let him down, failed him, forgot about him? It has to go back. Jesus Jesus hit the nail on the head. Like, how do you obey God? How do you continue to be faithful? Like, what's Joseph's secret? He just loved God. You know, this morning I was down, uh, we were in prayer meeting, and I heard the band just getting ready and practicing. And I said to Shaw, I was like, man, you guys sounded really good. And he's like, he said something along the lines of like, I just I just love God. I just love him. And I'm like, that's that's the heart of what it means to be Jesus followers, that you get to the point in your life where you're like, when everything else just falls apart, when everything else falls away, I just love God. I trust him. You know, And, and then again, in prayer this morning, we we're talking about just the state of Canada, the state of the world. There's so many disturbing things that go on in this world. So many things that are just like overwhelming. We we acknowledge the the International Day for Truth and Reconciliation. Like when you think back to some of the history in our country, it's just like it's hard to even contemplate it. It's like, man, how how did this stuff happen? How did God let it happen? How can people do things that are so terrible, so evil, right? And you, you go back to Joseph, he was wrestling with some of the same things. How did these injustices happen? How was I lied about? How did, how did you know, why did this go on in my life? And, and what got Joseph through? What was his secret? He just loved God. When he had nothing else left, he just loved God. That's the heart of what it means to be a Jesus follower. Like that, And that's why I said to you at the beginning, I don't think there's a message that's more important as a Jesus follower for us to hold on to is just to get to the point in our lives where we're like, I love God. Even if things don't go the way that I want them to go, even if things seem like they fall apart, even if I'm lied about or forgotten about or there's, you know, the crazy things happening and I'm, I feel alone, like, you just get to the point where you're like, I just love God. I trust him. I trust him regardless of what, what's gonna happen. i want to ask you some questions along these lines. Do, do, you love, do you love your breath? Or do you love the one who gave you breath? Do you love your, your children? I've, I've got six kids. Vicki and I have six kids together that we love. Like, but do, do I love just my children? Does it stop there? Or do I go beyond that and go, but I love the one who gave me those children, the creator, the one who made having children possible. Do you love your life? Do you love the fact that you can breathe and interact with other people and show up with a, a group of people like this on a Sunday morning? Or do you love the one who gave you life? Do you love your, your career or the fact that you have a job or the one that made it possible for you to have a career and a job? Do you love laughter or do you go further? Do you love the one who invented laughter? Do you know God loves to laugh? You read the scripture sometimes and you'll find that humor is something God created. Do you love your partner? Do you love romantic love, even sexual love within marriage? Do you, do you, do you love that? Do you, do, but do you stop there or do you go beyond that and go, but I love the one who created that? The one that is behind it all is the one that we love the problem, and I didn't put this on the screen, but the problem of humans, with humans, with us as a people, is that for generations we have set our affections of love, not, not on bad things, but on lesser things. I invite you to, to reflect on who God is. I'm going to ask you just one more series of questions, and, uh, and then I'll bring this to a close, and we'll, we'll do communion together. Uh, I was reading a Tim Keller book recently, and he was talking about our motivation for why we do the things that we do. And I think this will be on the screen. And uh, if our motivation isn't love, it won't last very long. So I want you to think for a moment to the reasons why you might say no to ungodly behavior. So the reason why you would resist temptation. Do Do you say no, no, I don't want to do that because I'll look bad? No, because I'll be excluded from the social circles I want to belong to? For whatever it is, ungodly behavior, sin in some way. Do you say no because then God won't give me health, wealth, and happiness? If I, if I do something wrong and God's going to punish me so I don't want to, I'll say no then? Do you say no because God's going to send me to hell? Do you say no because then I'll hate myself in the morning and I'll lose my self-respect? Do you know, if we're honest, a lot of those are motivations for why we resist some of the things we're tempted by. But I want to just stress this to you. I can't stress this and make it clear enough like, What we, like, as followers of Jesus, our motivation and what Joseph's motivation was, he just loved God. Right? Because if those were his motivations, no, I'll look bad, I don't want to look bad. Like, Joseph did what was right, and then he looked bad. Right? Joseph took a stand for what was right, and then he was falsely accused of of rape. Right? I'll hate myself in the morning. Sometimes, like, sometimes when you do what's right, you lose everything. We see that in the life of Joseph. So all Joseph had left, the only thing that he had left to hold on to is just, like, I just love God. And I'll just, I'll tell you, this life is so, it's, it's too brutal. There's too many things that go on. If, if there's not a love for God in your heart, you lose the desire to persist, to continue. That's why Jesus said, like, you want to obey the whole law? Like, yeah, there's tons of laws. You can read the whole Old Testament. That's fine. We'll work through that. But like, if you want to get it all kind of in one, love God. Like, get to the point where you love God. And you can't love God until you realize how much he loves you. I'll say we, you and I can't work up this like desire in ourselves to love God, but it comes when we realize what He's done for us. We're going to do communion. I'm going to invite Jeremy to come up, and communion is a time where we actually we reflect on God's love for us, and and there's a real special presence of of Him with us as we do this. And so I'm going to invite Jeremy to come up, and we'll uh, close this with communion.
1: We're going to have the chance to have a time of communion together, and I'm going to invite the worship team up at this time. But if there's uh, one theme that I'd hope we would take with us, is this is an invitation to draw near to Jesus. Um, My wife and I were talking about how this past week has been so busy. We've been up to all kinds of good things, doing this and that, and in all that busyness, The easy thing to have happen is that we draw apart because life is busy. So this morning, as we get ready for communion and following up on this this message that Nathan has shared from the book of Joseph, the invitation is, can we take these moments to draw near to Jesus? I might ask, when is the last time that you got close and you heard his voice speaking to you? You know, there's a story in Luke 24 that I'm going